0: Welcome to the Al Atiyah Foundation's latest interview in a series of podcasts where we seek to address the urgent energy topics of today by hearing the opinions and insights from our invited experts. The Al Atiyah Foundation is an independent think tank aiming to provide robust and practical knowledge and insights on global energy and sustainable development topics and communicate these for the benefit of the Foundation's members and community. Providing access to sustainable energy remains one of the top priority issues in the global sustainability agenda. This will even be more so during the period of economic recovery after the coronavirus pandemic. Before the outbreak of coronavirus, substantial progress has been made in the pursuit of the goal of providing access to sustainable energy for all. A recent annual energy progress report 2019 tracking UN SDG7, issued jointly by the IEA, uh, IRENA, UN Statistics Division, World Bank and the World Health Organization, chronicles progress towards sustainable development goal SDG7 at the global, regional and country levels. The report indicated that the global population without access to electricity decreased to about 840 million in 2017 from 1.2 billion in 2010. Renewable energy accounted for 17.5% of global total energy consumption in 2017, up from 16.6% in 2010. It also affirmed that energy efficiency improvements have increased steadily in recent years due to concerted policy efforts in major economies, including China. A lot has been seen, written and said about the devastating impact of COVID-19 on all sectors, including the energy sector. The pandemic has led to a crash in the global energy market and consequently denting the progress made towards achieving the goal of universal access to affordable and clean energy by 2030. Today, I am delighted to welcome our podcast guest, Ivan Martin, to share some perspectives on how the technology change will affect various aspects of our lives. Ivan is the chairman of the Orchestra Basque Institute of Competitiveness. The institute researches many aspects of regional and international competitiveness. Previously Ivan was the vice chair of energy practice of BCG and its global leader for a number of years. In 2013 he was named as one of the top 25 Most Influential Consultants of the Year by Consulting Magazine. So who better to talk to about the energy and environmental issues of the day? And if we are indeed heading towards a new normal, whatever that may mean. So good afternoon, Ivan, and welcome once again to an Alatea Foundation activity.
1: Uh, Good afternoon. It's a real pleasure for me to be participating in these webinar. Uh, I really uh, would like first to uh, congratulate the Latilla Foundation because of the, all the good work that they are doing uh, in order to uh, promote the discussions around the energy issues. And also, I would like to congratulate it for something that you said that is very important, who is uh, ensuring or helping to provide sustainable energy for all. As a, also a member of the Energy Access Platform, uh, I am. This is an issue that really concerns me, and I think it's very important that we raise the flag and we remind people about all these uh, individuals around the world or citizens that have no access to electricity or have no access to clean cooking. Having said that, I mean, um, uh, let, let me start a little bit by describing uh, what we do at Orchestra. The, Uh, Basque uh, Regional Institute of Competitiveness, uh, where we are experts in sustainable regional competitiveness. And our goal is to generate knowledge about how to make regions more competitive from a social and economic and environmental point of view and increase the well-being of the society. We have five labs, and one of them is the energy labs that studies how energy Uh, can have an impact on regional and companies' competitiveness. And we focus on things you mentioned before, the energy transition processes from a technology, regulation and market point of view, and also on sustainable mobility. And right now, I mean, the kind of research we are doing is related with energy taxation, energy efficiency, the role of hydrogen, uh, the drivers of electrical mobility, and the flexibility markets for distribution amongst others. Okay, Ivan, well, that's
0: setting out your stall. Uh, As the world slowly recovers from the pandemic and countries begin, hopefully, to gradually relax restrictions, we're hearing a lot, as I said about, uh, in inverted commas, the new normal, meaning that we should not expect to return to the normal way we knew before the pandemic. So, Basically, what does this new normal entail for the energy sector?
1: Yeah. I think it has two dimensions. No, the one dimension is all the changes that we are going to have in the energy demand. And the other uh, dimension is the implications for the energy companies. In terms of the energy demand, what we are seeing is that, I mean, passenger vehicles, uh, fuel demand is going to increase due to the fear that citizens have right now uh, on public transportation, because they believe uh, it could be dangerous uh, and you can uh, caught the virus. Uh, In maritime, uh, probably there also will be some changes because uh, global trade is being affected and the supply chains are becoming much more localized and therefore demand for maritime fuels also may decrease. And the sector that has been much more affected is uh, demand for airlines. You know, I mean, uh, there is a going to be a decrease in tourism, there is going to be a decrease in business travel, because now we are all using uh, all these kind of new technologies to communicate. Uh, and travel is going to be affected. And in fact, I mean, if you see the in demand uh, in the recent uh, weeks, I mean, it's really uh, uh, in the 80s or minus 90% compared to before the crisis, no? So energy demand is going to be reshaped, no? On the other hand, uh, the companies are going to require a much uh, uh, higher adaptability because if there is something that will be, I mean, uh, a key uh, description of the new normal or the new reality is going to be un- uh, unpredictability. It's going to be very difficult to predict the future and therefore the companies need to be uh, to have a, an adaptation of this business model to different situations and also they need to create a much more resilient environment and resilient investments for them. No? So I think that um, Another main issue of the new new normal is that we need to ensure that we have the required investments flowing into the energy companies to carry out the energy transition that is needed. And in some cases, uh, we are going to have issues because the economic situation of certain countries is going to be affected and therefore the capacity to invest is going to be reduced. And on the second hand, and something that for me is very worrying, uh, certain sectors of the society have demonized the energy companies. And if we demonize them, then the the investment flows are not going to reach those companies, and therefore they won't be able to adapt their their portfolio and their investments to the new normal. So so, uh, I I think we are under... uh, a scenario full of uncertainty and full of new things coming uh, in the next years. Indeed. And uh, as you say, it is uh, at the moment very hard
0: to predict the future. But I will predict mm-hmm. that the question of climate change won't change. Mm-hmm. Um, but is this just a rich country's game? Are fewer rich countries more concerned with just getting sufficient food, healthcare, and even simple? uh everyday comforts like electricity
1: yeah now you are totally right and this is a great question because uh especially in europe we tend to forget that there are many different realities no and i think that the energy transition means very different things depending on the part of the world you are located in europe everything is about decarbonization and you see uh Many comments around that gas has no future, that I fully disagree, but that's the current situation in Europe. Everything should be decarbonized. Gas is a source of energy that won't have a future. If you go to Asia, Asia is talking about, or energy transition for the Asian countries is about responsible growth. They need to grow, they need energy, and they are going to use that in a responsible way. But they still need energy, and they need many sources of energy. And finally, if you go to Africa, and going back to your uh, comment at in the, during the introduction, uh, in Africa, is very simple. It's going from darkness to light. They need to have access to energy. So, as you say, I mean, climate change is a rich country's game. No, climate change or energy transition is important for everyone, but... Every region should uh, do it in a different way, adapted to the uh, situation of the countries. No? And I think that the most important thing is that we need to have a transition that is smart and is just. By smart, I mean that we need to manage the pace of change using the right technologies at the right moment, not before, not later. And we need to be cost conscious of what or where we are putting our money for the uh, transition. And second thing, we need to ma- minimize the social consequences of going too fast uh, or going in the wrong direction in terms of climate change. No, uh, and let me give you one example. No, uh, with something that is very much into uh, a fad in uh, in Europe. No, uh, uh, does it make any sense? to subsidize electrical vehicles that are only used by rich people living in cities, when probably that money that you spend subsidizing those rich people could be better used to subsidize the renovation of the car fleet. That in many countries is 12, 15 years old and has uh, cars that are emitting uh much more than the cars that are the internal combustion engine cars that are being produced right now so these are the kind of trade-offs we need to make sure obviously i mean is it very important to have electrical vehicles in the yes but at the right moment well, not when
0: well, exactly i mean it's all about the significance of the timing and you talk about uh, competitiveness in fuels and possible subsidies and i wonder if the non-fossil fuels are competitive uh, or if they're propped, by, propped up by hidden subsidies, so is a carbon tax the answer? Um, and if it is, could it ever be agreed internationally?
1: I mean, there are two issues here. The, the first one is that renewable energy has been uh, decreasing a lot the cost. And I mean, if you see the, I mean, the cost of a solar PV module back in the 70s and now now is 99 percent lower cost no? and wind turbines. I mean, uh, you see a wind turbine cost uh, in the 80s. And now we are talking about nearly 70 percent lower. So there has been a, gr- a great dis- dimin- uh, I mean, decreasing of the cost of renewable energy. But you are totally right in the sense that what we are not charging the renewable energy is the cost of uh, solving the intermittency problems that they have. I mean, because I mean, you cannot produce uh, uh, electricity with uh, PV at night, and you cannot produce electricity with wind at uh, when moments there is no wind. So therefore, you need a backup energy, and the backup energy used to be coal, that we all know is not very adequate for the environment by nuclear but nuclear is not accepted in many countries and the only source that is really providing that uh, backup energy is uh, is gas no until storage develops in the future but we need to be we need to charge the renewables with the cost of providing all the infrastructure to make sure that we have a stable energy supply and we solve the infrastructure problems. No? So that's, a, that's a, I think, the first comment. The second comment, in terms of the carbon tax, uh, from an economic point of view, is the best tool uh, to solve the environmental externalities and uh, put into practice the principle of the polluter pays uh the problem is that the carbon tax is very difficult and very complicated to implement so it's a it's a very attractive uh, conceptual uh idea uh in, in some cases it's really needed for example putting a carbon tax will uh, facilitate the transition from coal to gas because it will make gas uh, even more competitive against uh, against coal but uh the implementation is, is of carbon taxes. Uh, are, I mean, we have seen the example in France, no, where uh, an increase in the in the carbon tax has made uh, all the. The, the protest in the streets with the yellow uh, jackets, no, because suddenly yeah. the, the price of the diesel and the gasoline went up and create a lot of social turmoil. no, And also there is uh, this idea about if you put carbon taxes, you should also put a carbon tax up the border, because if not, the only consequence is that you, what you are going to do is you are going to transfer the cement, the steel production from the companies that the countries that have carbon taxes to the ones that are that don't have any carbon tax and that uh, uh, even uh, have less uh, powerful or less sophisticated environmental controls and so on. No, so in a sense, it's a good idea. It can help the transition from coal to gas. It's difficult to implement, but it's a good step forward.
0: Okay, so we're talking about transitions from coal to gas, but what what about uh, hydrogen, hydrogen economy? In- in all its various colors. Is hydrogen the clean answer? And if it is, what would the cost of that be? Electrolysis of water seems a very inefficient way to generate hydrogen.
1: Yes, I mean, hydrogen is at this point in time more uh, a very attractive bet rather than a real answer. Uh, uh, I think um, Green hydrogen, with an average production cost around $5 per kilogram, is uh, far from being competitive against grey or blue hydrogen and against other alternative sources. But hydrogen may be a solution to reduce emissions in hard to decarbonize sectors, like uh, heavy road transportation, maritime transportation and industrial sectors. And there are certain regions and certain places around the world where they are really pushing for uh, hydrogen, like uh, Japan, uh, like uh, Norway, or like the European Union. The European Union has launched uh, last week uh, uh, a nitrogen uh, plan. Uh, where they want to invest uh, between 250 and 300 billion euros by 2030 to promote hydrogens and create uh, hydrogen corridors. And uh, they would like to have by 2030 more than 40 gigawatts of uh, hydrogen. And by 2050, they have the commitment or the the ambition to have uh, renewable hydrogen technologies Uh, at large scale implemented. So I think it's a promising bet, but we are not yet there.
0: Well, thank you, Ivan, for all of those insights and uh, your time today. So uh, today we see that indeed we should all expect to see interesting changes in life as we know it. In other words, we've all got to get used to a new normal. As a non-profit independent organisation, the Foundation would also like to thank its members. Their continued support is valued and appreciated. Watch this space for the next podcast in this series. I'm Stephen Cole. Thank you and goodbye.